Welcome to Valkyrie Garage, celebrating female strength. Shelby Belfast is a strength and conditioning coach with a passionate followership. We recently reconnected after losing track of each other after college. Shelby has absolutely set the world on fire. Um, She's reinvented many, many times. She's been a dancer. She's been a model, a burlesque performer, a fighter, a writer. Uh, And here we talk all about powerlifting, her Valkyrie rebirth, how she sets women free through coaching them. She is super powerful. So no more spoilers. I'll stop talking now. Just follow at Shelby Belfast and listen to her story. So let's start with who are you and what's your mission? Um, who am I? Um, I mean, I could, I could run the gamut on this, but I'd say at this point in my life, um, I am a strength and conditioning coach currently living in San Francisco. Um, I sometimes am in Los Angeles. I kind of bounce back and forth. Uh, and my mission, I think, above all else is to make people strong, powerful, and healthy and I love to put the focus on getting women to be really strong powerful and healthy and kind of uh obliterating the myth that being strong it will means being manly or bulky or something like that or that even being bulky is a bad thing because let's face it (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know yes all about that gained life um so how did you discover your physical strength? Um, so I've been somewhat athletic for most of my life. Um, I've bounced in and out of different sports. Um, but I don't think I really started to figure out what my body was capable of until I was about, I mean, honestly, later in life, till I was about 27. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, at the time, was doing, I was a promoter in Hollywood, um, which is very quote unquote glamorous job. Um, and also really, really, really hard. And I was putting on these kind of fun productions that I was never having any fun at. And I just got sick of it. And I was like, I have to change something. This isn't working out. And athletics and sports had kind of always been my safe space. Um, and I would dip in and, you know, I would box or I would dance or I would do something. And then I would exit because some part of my brain was like, well, that's not a career though. And finally at like 27, I was like, I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to run and hide inside of a powerlifting gym in Ohio um, called Westside Barbell. I followed a a coach who had deeply inspired me there and sort of threw myself uh, at his mercy and said, I'll rack weights, I'll clean, I'll do whatever you want. I just want to learn from you. And his name is Shane Sweat. And he's incredible. Uh, And I did. I went out there and I was in Ohio for, I think, a couple months And, uh, the first time Shane had me really lift weight, there was this part of my brain that was like, I can't, I can't do this. And I started watching other women in that gym do just unbelievable things, pick up insane amounts of weight, just ridiculous feats of strength. And then my brain started going, well, maybe you can. And, And Shane is, I mean, I'm biased perhaps, but I think one of the top five coaches in the world, and he has this demeanor that is very even keeled and consistent. He kind of said, yeah, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And finally, when you have someone saying, yes, you can enough, um, you start to believe it. And I think women live in a world where we're taught that we can't or we shouldn't. And it was incredibly empowering to be, to be given permission to be strong. Ooh. And once I was given that, I realized I had always been strong and I had so much more potential to access. Wow. So how do you bring that into how you coach folks now? So one of the coolest things that one of my clients um, said to me once, and and I've coached uh, everyone from professional athletes to people who are brand new to even walking into a gym. And uh, this particular client was someone who had not been an athlete, who was very, very new to coming into the gym and was very, very nervous. And one of the things she said to me is she said, you know, six, six months into our training, she said, you know, one of the things that meant the most to me was that from day one, you referred to me as an athlete. 
And she's like, when you first did it, I almost wanted to correct you because it felt like, no, I'm not like, stop, you know, stop patronizing me or stop referring to me in a way that isn't true or whatever. And she's like, but the more you, you did it, the more you treated me that way, the more I started to feel that way. And I started to regard my own training as uh, something that was a, a part of my life because here I am an athlete and this is just what I do now. Um, and I think that sort of allowing people to feel that way, like the gym isn't something you do because you're a software engineer and you're out of shape because of your job. The gym is something that you do because inside of you, you are an athlete. And so you need to train because that's what athletes do, you know? And I think giving people the ability to see themselves that way and to sort of incorporate it into their identity, um, has been the thing that I've tried to, to do for everybody that I train. And I think it's been maybe getting that feedback from a client was maybe the most important thing that I've received so far. And hopefully it's something that everybody feels that I get to work with. Wow. That's so rad how you hold that space for someone to become like you name the thing that maybe they don't know yet and then give them permission to become that. Yeah. I mean, we, we put athletes on this pedestal and go, well, they're not like me, you know? And the reality is that athlete is a general term, right? It just means somebody who prioritizes sport or competitiveness or, or physical ability. And everybody has that regardless of what they're born with, what they're, what they're doing. Everybody has that. Everybody has that potential and giving them the opportunity to sort of access that and, and allow that to flourish, I think is important. Yes. Okay, so what changed for you when you started training with Shane and getting strong? <laughs> um, I had uh, so I had been a competitive swimmer. Um, I had boxed. I had never really been given proper strength and conditioning training. And strength and condi- conditioning training is sort of an accessory to a sport, um, which is why, again, I refer to myself as a strength and conditioning coach and not like a trainer, like, I mean, in all reality, I'm both, but I like to think that what I'm giving you when we work together is accessory to your life or to the things you want to do. If I have someone who comes in and goes, um, I want to hike five miles without getting winded. I go, okay, that's fine. Then the training gets amended to give you that window in your life. Um, Shane, got a hold of me and and he was like what do you want and I was like I want to be I want to be terrifying and he was like (laughs) you know he was like uh I think it was Alexander McQueen the designer who said I don't dress women to be pretty I dress them to be otherworldly and terrifying and I had that like stuck to my wall for the longest times I was like that's what I want to be and when I went to see Shane I was like I don't I I feel like I've done the pretty girl thing in the sense that I modeled and I you know, was in the burlesque scene for a while. And I sort of was like, I want to be really strong. Like, I want to know without a doubt what my body is capable of. And I want to walk really close to the edge of what that capability is. And Shane just went, okay. Like he didn't bat an eye. He just went, okay. And I think my, one of my first or second days in the gym with him, um, he had me do this circuit and I don't even remember all of what was in it. I promise you he would remember. And uh, I cried through half of it. Like, I can't, I don't even know. I, I was crying, not just because it was hard, but because I started to hit physical failure. And when your body stops working, it is a weird thing because your brain goes, I'm telling it what to do. I'm giving it all these messages and it's just not doing it. And your only recourse is to either go, we're going to sit down now and stop or you keep going, but you have this weird, like, self-pity wave that hits you. Where you're like, I'm so sorry that I'm asking you to do things that you can't do. So I was, like, in this powerlifting gym around all of these just monster strong people who were kind of, like, cheering me on. And I was, like, crying and, like, performing these movements so badly and just str- full-on struggle bust the whole time. And, you know... And the minute I was done, I think I ran into the bathroom and I think I puked and I called my then boyfriend and sobbed incoherently <laughs> and like had this meltdown. And then I came out and Shane was like, I'm really proud of you. Um, most people would have quit. And I was like, wait, quitting was an option. <laughs> Whoa. 
And he was like, but you didn't though. And I, I think some of it is surviving that kind of stuff. And then you get to the other side of it and you go, well, now I know that I'm at least capable of this. I didn't love it, but you start to figure out what your body can do. And when you start to figure out what your body can do, you start, well, how much more you start reaching for a little bit more, you know, okay, if I can do this, can I do this? Can I do a little bit more of this? And um, of course there was a lot of training in like, this is what form looks like. This is how you don't, you know, hurt yourself. But more than anything, um, it was just providing me with a space to challenge myself in a way that I hadn't really been given before. Um, in sports, I had had a lot of skill training, but I hadn't been, I hadn't ever had someone put a barbell in my hands. I hadn't ever had somebody really tax me or tax my muscles in like the three pri- primary lifts. Mm-hmm. So that was all new. Wow. And then what shifted when you started getting strong and when you started getting muscles, like, or defined muscles, big muscles, like, how did that change how you had been in your body as like a dancer and a model? Well, okay. So um, I am firmly of the belief that ballet is not good for you. Mm-hmm. And I, and I did some dance and I did some ballet and I did all that stuff. And there are messages, even modeling messages that you get, which, which basically are that you need to be a particular size um, within a certain size range in order to display clothing better. And it's not about you and, and nobody cares about who you are and it's unhealthy. And I had for a long time found value in what how I could fit within these sort of prescribed sizes and prescribed ideals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think when we first met, I was probably like a size four, two or four and like 125 pounds maybe and bleaching my hair out and, you know, doing everything I could to be within those sort of parameters. And somewhere along the way, uh, you know, ED, um, anorexia primarily sort of um, started to grab a hold of me and I had some pretty narrow brushes of being really, really, really dangerously, uh, on, on a path that would have, I don't think I would have survived. Oh. And at some point I went, you know, I, one, I don't want to die. And I don't think anybody with ED struggling with any addiction like that wants to die. Um, but I, I realized that I had to reframe what I, what, how I, my relationship with my own body and what it was for and giving it tasks and watching it succeed at those tasks kind of reframed my relationship with it. Instead, it allowed me to go, you can do things and you can do cool things. And I want to let you keep doing those cool things and watching muscle develop on my body. The first time I really noticed it, it was kind of, you have this, like, is that a good thing? Is this okay? And then you go, yeah, because it's necessary. It's sort of like getting home from really hard training and going, I'm starving. And when you're closer to your initial rehabilitation from ED, you, you're constantly kind of still doing this double check on, on everything that you eat. And, you know, it, it was helpful to, <laughs> to sort of get home and be so taxed that it was like, you don't really have an option here. You're going to have to eat because if you want to do this tomorrow, this is the only way. Um, wow. And I think that uh, athletics, lifting in particular and boxing really saved my life because the only way I knew to relate to my body before that was, you know, to look at it and go, well, how, how are you within the sort of standards? How, how, how close can I get to being this? And now um, my entire goal is to see how big I can make my legs and to crush a watermelon. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So... <laughs> So, I mean, I, it's like, I don't have, uh, I look at old pictures of myself and I have such a weird relationship to that person because I know it's me, but it feels like, uh, feels like a totally separate life, you know? Yeah. What would you tell her? Like if, you know, young Shelby wandered into your gym now and you had the opportunity to train her. Oh my God. So I've had a few clients that have walked into my life and I go, Jesus, this is me. Um, and I've, and actually, um, 
I admin for a feminist group, private feminist group that's been around for a couple of years now. And I've encountered it in a few, we've done this exercise where we've been like, what would you say to your younger self? Mm -hmm. And it's always a little bit heartbreaking because if I could reach out to like 18 to 24 year old me, um, the number one thing I would tell her is I'd be like, you need to put your ass in a gym because you are so much fucking stronger than anybody has ever given you the permission to be. And anyone that tells you that you're getting too bulky or you're too big or it's not cool for you to lift weights is jealous and terrified of you. And people are going to be jealous and terrified of you no matter what you do. Because when you're a woman and you're smart and you take up space, that's just how life is. So you might as well go and make yourself a superhero. And just, you know, just forget it. Like you can't. Captain Marvel is such a profound film because there's that whole like you're too much you're not you're you're too emotional you're too this and then that whole I you know I don't have to prove anything to you I would love to be able to get a hold of my younger self and be like you owe everybody zero the only person you owe anything to is yourself and making yourself happy and making yourself healthy and reaching the potential that makes you feel the most in touch with you and all this other stuff is not that Wow. Wow. So tell me more about your, this feminist community. Like what else are you teaching there? How else are you mentoring people there? What are you learning from the others in that community? And um, yeah, tell me more about that. Um, so it's a group of women, non-binary, two-spirited uh, people. And, and the only exclusion we have is um, cis men. And that's just because I think they have enough safe spaces in the world right now. And, you know, (laughs) and we, we kind of developed this space because of that fact, because it was like, well, we kind of want our own space. And uh, I was initially brought into a group called Girl Cult, um, which went by several different names. It went by Girl Cult, it went by GNI, it went by a whole bunch of different things about six years ago, I want to say seven years ago, maybe. And um, that group is since defunct, but the relationships that I made within that group uh, are everlasting. And uh, I met hundreds and hundreds of women. That group was much bigger than my group is. It was about 2000 to 5,000 strong, I think. Whoa. And uh, yeah. And we, and uh, that group did some incredible, amazing things. Um, It became sort of like a very internally supportive community where, you know, if we had a woman, any, anything from, you know, women reaching out from the middle of the country going, I'm in an abusive relationship and I'm finally ready to leave. Um, you know, he hurt me tonight and I have to get out and us crowdfunding like several thousand dollars in a matter of hours to fund her getting out in the middle of the night to funding people to fly across the the world to see a grandparent they hadn't seen forever on on their last days. It was all kinds of stuff that we did. And, um, this current group that I started up, uh, after that group kind of crumbled, um, I launched ours and it's called the coven and there's about 300 people in it, 300 uh, different individuals. And about two years, two to three years ago now, three years ago, I guess, um, we ran a campaign called the For Her campaign, which raised money to unseat um, Judge Persky. If you know who that is, Judge Aaron Persky was the judge that uh, handed down the ruling to Brock, uh, the swimmer from Stanford, the rapist who got like five weeks of, you know, jail time. Yes. And and handed him the statement that said any longer would damage his future. Right. And all of us went, okay, so you can't be a judge anymore because you don't know how to actually uh, issue justice. And because of our efforts in conjunction with the efforts of a few other groups and um, a really incredible uh, lawyer from Stanford, uh, he no longer has a job. So, wow, that's powerful. Yeah. And I think, I think actually that's, uh, one of the things I would love for people to know is that the, sh- the stuff that you do, we're all out here during a, a time where the administration's terrifying, but the things that you do, do make a difference. And that was a major difference. Um, it took time, it took effort. But uh, I remember when we got the call and they were like, yeah, he's, he's done. He's having to resign. And I was like, what? <laughs> we Did just that worked. We got a judge fired. Like, yeah. Um, so, and that group, uh, I've learned, I, I can't even begin to imagine who I would be without all of those people. Um, I, I have learned 
so much about intersectionality. I've learned so much about uh, fair and honest treatment of all people. I've learned more about inclusion. I've learned more about empathy um, because they all, every one of those of the people in my group come from a different walk of life. They're all very, very different and they're global. So um, I've learned a ton. And the, the thing that I try to do for them is one, be as nurturing and considerate as I can be to keep allowing them to have space to be, um, to feel safe, to reach out, to build connections. Um, that's number one. And number two, when it comes to anything that I can share fitness wise, I try to give it as much as I can. Um, you know, and I've, I've run live feeds in the group before where I just basically go, this is what I look like working out. And, um, I'm going to fail a lot today because this is my rep set scheme and it's going to be really high. And you guys get to watch me get frustrated because Instagram's great, but like, Instagram is curated. So people are most of the time only going to see me flexing after a really good upper body day and looking really cool or like hitting a PR. And I think sometimes people miss out on the fact that I fail all the time and every lifter fails all the time. I think, you know, I think sports in general um, is like 85% failure with a 15% quote unquote win margin. But that's that's how your body learns, right? you you know, little kids don't learn to walk by just going boop and standing up and going, here I am walking. You know, it's a lot of stand up, fall down, stand up, fall down. Oh, yes. And as women, we're so conditioned to go for that little rat pellet of like approval of getting it right. And like the perfectionist thing, right? From school yep. on of like, I don't fail. I get it right. I, I always have the right answer. Or to hide because of the shame if you do fail, right? It's oh, like, yeah. if you fail, it's because you're weak. It's not because it's the first time that you tried this. If you fail, it's because you're not good enough. If you fail, it's because you're not worthy. And I struggle with that still. I struggle with that absolutely still. I've had more meltdowns on the platform when I started Olympic lifting than I dare to even, I care to share. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I actually shared, I had a day where I had to do multiples of like an 85% of what my one rep uh, clean and jerk is. And I had to do multiples of it. It was a high volume day on purpose. And I, I spent most of the day failing and I filmed it and I spliced it into a video and I put it on my Instagram and I was like, you should see this. Awesome. Um, and it, and it was just me throwing childish tantrums, yelling and screaming. And it, the end of the day culminated with me literally dropping the bar and going, I'm done. I have to be done and walking away and sobbing in a corner. And my coach who is also my boyfriend <laughs> coming up to me and going, don't ever do that again. You can do whatever you want. You can be mad, but you can't quit. You can communicate with me, but you can't quit. You're not allowed to quit because you don't get to give up on yourself while I'm around. And I was like, uh, okay, fine. So, but yeah. Wow. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How, what was kind of your rock bottom moment? And then how'd you get from there to, where you are now and becoming a coach, all of that. Um, rock bottom moment. Uh, I don't know if there was one. Um, there's been a few, I would say, mm -hmm. um, leading up to before I was, uh, training people. And even since then, um, I will, I will never lie and say that being a woman in, fitness or in strength and conditioning is easy because it is not this is a this is a big time uh like boys job mm -hmm. and I'm surrounded by men the percentage of female trainers even in the gym I work out of most of the time presently which is a performance fitness gym is like maybe five maybe five percent Ooh, wow um, not many at all and when you get up to the higher echelons of strength and conditioning we're still a very low percentage. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, so I think I've had a few, I've been kicked in the teeth a few times. Ugh. Um, I've had, uh, less qualified men get positions with, uh, athletic teams, mm -hmm. um, and watch myself get passed over specifically because I was like, uh, I know that this is happening because they're guys. Like, I know that that's the only reason, mm -hmm. um, I've watched, um, men in gyms push women out or sexually harass women and push them out, me included, and then get promoted. I've watched all kinds of stuff like that happen. I don't think that I've had one rock bottom, but I think I have had the opportunity to rise a lot. 
Wow. Um, and I think that the minute that I start thinking about this is the lowest I'm going to get, I'm sure that like, <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> the world has a way yeah. of going, huh, hold my beer. And so <laughs> I don't think I ever want to regard it as uh, this was the lowest it was, but I think that it's all been an opportunity to grow. And I think that, um, I think that because of all of those things, you know, I, I hesitate to like give credit to the negative influences my li- in my life too much because um, it still was me who made these things happen. And that's, that's uh, <clears throat> eight years of therapy talking right now, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it still was me who, um, you know, got myself out of the shit that I got into. But I think, um, I think where I'm at now, um, my, my career is ever growing. If you ever meet somebody who's in this field and they go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at the top of my game. It's like, you're, you never are because the thing about our field is that it's ever evolving, right? We're always learning something new. The one thing that I love currently is that I am surrounded by very different people who are uh, all specialists in different facets of fitness. Um, I'm lucky enough to work in very close um, congruence with uh, two guys that run an Instagram page called the Upgrade Guys. One is uh, Coach Rich Thurman. The other is Nat Vernand. And both of them are different facets of movement specialists, a field that is fascinating to me and incredibly necessary and not one that I would presume to pursue myself Mm -hmm. Because I sort of feel like when you become a specialist, by the time you put your feet in, there's already somebody else near you that's five, you know, five, 10 years ahead. And Nat and Rich are both intuitive, empathetic, incredibly intelligent and talented um, movement specialists. And I've been lucky enough to be able to source out with my own clients who have needed that and then get feedback from them and go back to rebuilding the same person, which is cool when you have a stable of trainers that can uh, sort of assess people, Wow! give you their feedback, then you get to offer the best possible um, opportunity to any athlete you train. Um, I think that right now in my life, I'm also lucky that all of the people that I'm around, save maybe one or two, are incredibly, incredibly respectful. And some of the staunchest feminists I've ever been lucky enough to work around, Nat Rich included Ben, my boyfriend, uh, you know, John, one of the acupuncturists, all the guys that I'm around right now are incredible allies. And, and that's a pretty cool thing. That is awesome. So I know you can do really sophisticated programming. If you were just to propose kind of the essentials, like the bare minimum, keeping it super simple, like the three to five bullet points that we should be doing every day um, to be healthy, to move, like to get strong, what do you think those would be? That's so hard because it depends on the person. But I think that uh, you need to learn how to, you need to learn compound movement. Um, Human beings aren't built to do single joint exercises. Single joint exercises are for bodybuilders who want to build isolated or single muscle groups Mm -hmm. um, to a specific mass. But in your day-to-day life, that's not how we work. So, I mean if you work with me, you're going to deadlift. And I think every one of my clients could tell you that like, that's the number one lift you are not getting out of doing. Okay. So Um, if you had like one desert Island, like if you could only do one, one move for the rest of your life, you think it it would be deadlift? I think probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just think that learning how to, I mean, how do people hurt themselves? You know, the number one thing you hear is I threw my back out. Yeah. And I go, number one, I am 40 years old and have been training people for 11 years now and or 12 years now. And I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> I still, when someone says I threw my back out, I'm like, I have no idea what that means, <laughs> but I guess what it means is you strain something. And the only way you're straining something because you picked something up wrong or you got up off a couch wrong or whatever is because your body does not know how to complete a, a hip hinge or uh, a knee drive properly. And these are all things that if you coach a deadlift the right way, you can give access to those things. Yeah. So. Okay. And any other movements, like most essential compound movements, you would say? I mean, I'm, I'm a West side barbell girl. So I love the three, I love structuring work around the three primary lifts, the least functional, probably being the bench press. 
But even then, if you coach it correctly, you're talking about um, accessing not just extensors, but retraction, Mm -hmm. how your shoulders uh, are stable against, you know, heavy weight. I think that squatting is really important and squatting well is really important. I think learning how to specifically front squats, actually, Mm. more than back squats. Um, Ben's going to listen to this podcast and like give me a massive large eyeball because I hate front squatting so much and he makes me do it all the time and I bitch about it constantly, but I recognize the value. Um, I think that learning how to, I, I, I would have to, I, I don't know, because the thing is, I think that it's more about finding out people adapt, right? Human beings come to you with their own adaptations based on years and years of, of whatever they've been doing. And some of that, you don't want to train out of people this whole idea that for we have you know one type of form is correct and another type of form is wrong is antiquated and we're not doing that anymore you have to look at what a human body specific to that human is capable of and what it does and around that make that movement increase their capacity for that movement and then make it safe within that movement and earn power within that capacity so i don't know if i have specifics more than I have people are so individual Mm. and I think given an individual I could tell you what that individual needs but I don't know if I could generalize it further yeah that's great this is good now I know um if I if I only have like 30 minutes at the gym I need to just be deadlifting benching squatting keeping it simple I mean, that's, yeah, kind of, and do variations of it, you know, get some unilateral work in there, get some lunges in, get some step ups and do versions of things that you do in your normal life, but with a slightly increased load. If you think about it, you know, if you can walk upstairs carrying 80 pounds in your arms, then you're probably not going to hurt yourself walking up the stairs with yourself. Yeah. So definitely. Okay. Well, what about applying that same framework to nutrition like what are kind of the essentials and I mean granted I'm it's super personal as well but just for you having done this journey from ED to like powering your performance with food being you know fuel um what do you think are just yeah. the basic principles that we as women should be thinking about with <laughs> nutrition in mind so anybody that knows me that's listening to this is going to start cracking up because I have opinions about nutrition bring it oh I want all of them I have opinions so I have several certifications in nutrition and uh number one I I don't think any anything gives me a worse case of the red ass than these diets that float around popularity diets like everybody's going to be keto everybody's going to be paleo everybody's going to be mediterranean diet everybody's going to be whatever whatever is new um they are all uh, omittance diets. They're all they're all diets, and they're all based around um, omitting things. Yep. And as somebody who has worked very hard to get past ED, those things are not good for you. Um, they're triggers for me. They're triggers for anybody who I think has struggled with ED, and I think that they are they're bad for you uh, psychologically. Yeah. If you tell yourself X thing is bad all the time, then you build this sort of weird um, kind of unhealthy relationship with foodstuffs that are in your world, whether you choose to consume them or not. And it can start to really negatively affect you. So, I mean, there are there are certain things that I can say, like, hey, an abundance of these things is not good for you. Sure. And that's just a fact. Um, Processed sugar and alcohol are bad for you. And they're, they're alcohol. I can say is bad for you. Alcohol. I can, without, without a doubt, without fail, say it is bad for you, regardless of increment. Yeah. Um, I have been tracking my own sleep recovery, all that stuff for about a year now. And, uh, I have this little tracker that I wear called a whoop. Oh, I've heard about that. It's really cool. Um, the funny thing is my, so I don't drink very often. It's very, very rare. It's like once a month, uh, uh, you know, Ben and I'll go on a date night and I'll have a glass of wine or something or two glasses of wine. The funny thing is that my whoop likes to remind me, even if it's been a month since I've had a drink, it will go, Hey, just so you know, 
I don't know if you've forgotten, but like every time you have an alcohol, Shelby, your sleep goes to shit. So like, we just wanted to remind you of that. It's like my whoop. It's like my whoop is silently judging me in advance. (laughs) (laughs) And the part of the, the fact that it does that is kind of cool, but like the, uh, the science doesn't lie. Every single time I've had any alcohol, um, my REM sleep drops to almost nothing. And my recovery goes from like 80% to 30. It doesn't matter how much sleep I get. I could get eight hours of sleep. Whoa. Uh, I have excessive disturbances. Um, my brain doesn't absorb any information that I've taken in the day before. <laughs> and essentially it just halts progress. Um, that's just like one thing that alcohol does. Another thing that it does is the minute you consume alcohol, your body goes, you have poison in you. So we're stopping all breakdown of any other food stuffs that are going in the body. And we're just going to store it as fat because we need to get this poison out. Wow. Um, so, and it, that can go from women statistically um, process alcohol out much slower. So uh, that can last anywhere from like an hour to two hours to like 48 hours. You can have lingering effects up to 48 hours later. So if you're drinking and then going out for burritos later because you've been drunk, all of that is getting turned into fat. All of it is turning into body fat. And if you're someone who trains heavily and you need the nutrients from the food you take in to help heal what, you know, the after effects of the training that you've just done, you will get none of that. Wow. So, uh, I mean, the thing that I tell all my clients is I go, if you care about the progress we make, you're not going to drink. You just won't because it will take, it'll, it'll just take away what we do. And two, two drinks can do that. Two drinks can erase a day of training immediately. Dang. What are the other um, like nutrition fundamentals? Processed sugar sucks. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a liver toxin. So high quantities of it suck. If you have a piece of birthday cake at a birthday, it's not going to kill you. But if your diet is full of uh, stuff that is reinforced with processed sugar, it's used often as a preservative, then it, you're gonna, it's going to have some negative effects on you. It will also affect your sleep. Um, it will also affect your hormone balance. It'll affect, you know, it gets turned into body fat as well because it's an energy source that your body probably isn't using enough of. Um, protein is really important. Women mostly don't get enough of it. Mm. And um, it, it's funny how I have this conversation to people. I go, there's two ways to talk to anybody about getting enough protein. Um, with guys, it's usually pretty easy. Cause you go, if you don't get enough protein, you won't build muscles. And what are you even doing? <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, if you're here to get yoked and like have be- have beach muscles, then like what? you need to eat the food to make those things happen for women. I can say that sometimes the other thing I can say is if you don't get enough protein, the collagen production in your body will halt, which leads to rapid aging. Oh, so if you are under and they, the base amount that they tell most women is like between 60 and 70 grams a day, if you're under that, then at some point your body's going, well, we need, we need amino, you know, we need protein blocks. We need aminos to basically just support cell turnover, mm-hmm. really basic cell turnover, um, inside and out on the outside of the body. So if you, if you're not getting enough protein at some point, it starts to cannibalize muscle to get what it needs. Mm-hmm. And it will stop allocating uh, building blocks to the least important things. Like, well, we don't necessarily need excess collagen in our face. We don't necessarily need it. We need it in our joints first, Mm -hmm. but not anywhere else. Or we need it here, but not here. So if you want to rapidly hurt all over, if you want to not recover from your workouts, just stifle your protein Ah! intake. Definitely don't want to do that. So what is, yeah. <laughs> what kind of a day of eating and training look like for you now? And how's that different how, from how it used to be? Oh, my God. Okay, so, jeez. Uh, Let's go back to, like, competitive swimmer okay. day, Shelby, who was, like, pretty in the thick of an eating disorder. Um, back then, I would get up, and it was, like, I think I ate carrots and an apple for breakfast. Um, oh. <laughs> I would go to practice. I would come back. I would go to school. I would, um, I think I ate beans and rice pretty much every single day and one bowl of it. I drank like two gallons of water a day and then I would go to practice again. And then I would go home and eat like 
broccoli and maybe something else. And then I would go to sleep. I was probably taking in around 800 calories oh. a day max. Um, and I felt terrible and I was sick all the time and exhausted and brain fog and all of that stuff. And the only reason I didn't completely fall apart was because I was young enough that I was producing high quantities of, of growth hormone to sort of save my life. People always wonder like, how come I was thin my whole life? And then I hit like 26 and now I can't keep weight off. It's like, because your metabolism has always been terrible and your body composition has never been good. You've never had a high quantity of lean body mass compared mm -hmm. to body fat, but you had a high quantity of growth hormone being produced to help process oh, all okay. that. And that levels off. And when that levels off, you either need to recomp yourself and start working for it, or it's just going to be a slow decline. Now, oh my God. So I get up in the morning and I eat within about 20 minutes mm -hmm. of being awake. And it's usually either oatmeal um, or it's um, full fat Greek yogurt uh, with granola in it. And then I go to work and I eat again within about two hours. The big joke is like, I'm a hobbit. So I have second yes, breakfast. Yes, 11s. Um, Gotta have your 11s. Yep. Yep. And I, and I eat the most food that I eat in a day within the first six to eight hours of being awake. I eat pretty consistently every two hours, either a meal or a snack or a meal or a snack or something. Um, and I'm eating anything from protein bars to, uh, it depends on what my workload for the day looks like because my job is fairly physical and it depends on what my activity, what my particular training is like. Um, and I'll structure it based around that. Like if I have a really heavy work day, then I'm looking for a high quantity of um, healthy carbohydrates, usually rice or sweet potatoes or something like that. I'm looking for a high quantity of protein. I'm looking for something with a lot of chicken, eggs, um, fish, and then a lot of vegetables. And typically, it's funny because we'll order sometimes from a couple of different delivery services close to the gym. Ben and I will. And um, <laughs> anytime the delivery comes, you can tell they're like, oh, this is for four people. And it's like, this is for two people. Excuse me. Um, and we'll eat whatever we got over the course of the day. We'll go home. My dinners are not very big. Um, I It's just me. I prefer it. And I eat a bulk of my um, carbohydrates at night. Hmm. So I will carbo backload, meaning I'll sit and eat popcorn at night before I go to sleep. Um, and that's just, I, that's just how I've learned that my body is. I don't function well on high fat hmm. at all. Um, I tried keto and every system in my body went to hell in a handbasket. Um, and it was, you know, having a doctor go, yeah, it's really not a very, it's not the most functional diet for everybody. And there's a, a lot of um, specifications that people kind of have to meet in order for mm -hmm. this to work for them. And for me, it did not work at all. Uh, I'm a power athlete. I need readily available glycogen stores. And without them, my performance went down. Uh, I could not hit PRs. I was really unhappy. I had headaches all the time. I felt sick. Wow. Uh, and I'm not somebody who's walking around with an insulin problem or high blood sugar. So it was not a necessity for me to go that direction. It was just test, kind yeah. of testing it out. And uh, yeah, my body doesn't like it. So I tend to consume less fat, much higher carbohydrates, um, high protein, a lot of water. I don't drink soda. I don't drink anything really, but water and coffee and tea. And yeah, that's well, kind of where I'm at. Quantum shift from back in the swimming days. Oh my god! Uh, like I had, su I had such a weird, abusive relationship with food, and now I have a very not not passionate. <laughs> it's a very stable, boring, consistent relationship with food, and that's yes. how it should be yeah. for me. A hundred percent. Yeah. So let's talk about your style because you have the best gym style of anybody I know. So what brands do you keep in your gym bag? Like what leggings do you love? What sports bras do you love? I want to know everything. So that's like the most flattering thing in the world because 90% uh, of what I wear is just what fits. <laughs> uh, my proportions are very different from what they used to be. 
And it's funny, uh, I spent in the beginning when I first started training, uh, I could wear a lot cuter stuff because I fit into a lot cuter stuff. And the, the more muscle I built, the more I went, oh God, this is why everybody who, you know, all the fitness people essentially are perpetually in leggings and like, you know, flowy tops all the time because nothing else yeah. friggin' fits. Um, I have a wide lat spread. I have a huge butt. My legs are, my quads are about 26 inches around each, I think. <laughs> like, which is two inches or an inch and a half smaller than my awesome. waist. So yeah, my body, my, my physical proportions are very, very different. So the ones that I like are the ones that, um, my sort of, uh, qualifiers when it comes to leggings are, can I put them on without them ripping? <laughs> which you'd be surprised. Um, uh, I was so excited. There was this company called body engineers that was advertising all over Instagram. I was like, yeah, these look so cool. And I ordered them and I put them on and they ripped immediately. And I was like, yeah, no, uh, not engineered for this yeah. body. No. And I was like, okay, so they, I, I have to be able to put them on and have them not rip. Um, I have to be able to put them on and have them not be transparent through multiple movements and they have to last price point has to reflect how long they last. I don't mind paying more for something if I know they're going to be around for a year with the near constant usage right. that I give them. Um, I am a big, big fan of Gymshark. Um, Gymshark's leggings are about, they range from like 50 bucks to I think 80. And the very first pair I ever bought from them is two years old and I still have Wow. Them. They're still fun. Um, I think their quality is really good. I think the compression in their leggings is really solid. They're very comfortable. Um, they look hot. Uh, I love them. They're, they're, I think my number one company for leggings. Another one is celestial bodies, but that's celestial bodies does a, a legging style called the mm -hmm. scrunch butt. And that's like, if you just want to make sure everyone is noticing the <laughs> ass at all times. And some <laughs> of us just know that everybody already is, and we don't really need any yeah. extra ruching for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but theirs, theirs are also really super comfortable. Um, they're like a micro modal stretch. I, it feels Ooh, like pajamas. They're so that comfy. Sounds awesome. I do. I do love some yeah. pajama feeling. So those are the two for leggings that I have. I have some aloe yogas that I use honestly more for mm -hmm. lifestyle. Um, just because for in the gym, they're a little bit heavyweight and a little bit, um, they're not as compressive as I would want them to be for gym, but yes. they're cute. And like I said, I own jeans, but every time I put jeans on, my brain goes, you can't hop a fence in this. I've never had to hop a fence at a moment's notice in my entire life, but that's but just if you what did, my brain yeah. says. So, right. I'm like, I can't throw a high kick in this. I can't live like this. So uh, I live in leggings even when I'm not in the gym. So that's what those are for. As far as tops, 90% of the tops that I wear are t-shirts that I find that I think are clever and I just cut them into muscle tanks. Love it. Um, I have some donuts and deadlifts shirts that I love, and I love supporting that company. Um, Chrissy McCagney, who I believe started it, and then everybody that she has working with her, they're an incredibly inclusive and intersectional company um, owned and operated and run by women and trans folk and, you know, every race imaginable, imaginable and they're fantastic. And the athletes they sponsor are um, incredibly varied. So I love throwing okay. money at them. Uh, and sports bras you know i gotta be honest any companies that like want to throw a type at me and have me test it out for you I'm, I'm so happy to i don't have big boobs i'm like a b c in between i'm a solid medium grade so i don't need a ton of support but my lifestyle uh means that i gotta strap them down a little because they you can't olympic lift and have your boobs get in the way and you can't really oh uh, bar pass any of the... yeah yeah and let me tell you uh early on in my career i i smashed <gasps> my boobs with the bar a few times and that's some, oh. that is a, that is a thing um there's a company called chesty that makes a sports bra that actually has like padding in the collarbone for when you're new <laughs> at olympic nice. lifting and you're still toasting you're still toasting your collarbone so that one's cool but yeah, I mean, I have yet to find a sports bra that I like better than frankly, and I hate supporting this company because I don't think they're the best in um, how inclusive they've been with women, but Victoria's Secret makes a hell of a sports okay. bra. Please, for the love of God, any other company, come find me and give me a reason to not wear them anymore. <laughs> I, would, I would love to. <laughs> I just, I think I also need 
structure and they have these molded cups that I'm like it feels sort of like a battle bra like putting it on instead of I don't do well with no under underwire or no yeah. under support and like I see all these like super ripped athletes in these tiny little like strappy Nike sports bras and I put them on and I'm like that's not happening I'm gonna do one handstand and those are these are coming yeah right you need so. like a shield made in armor yeah okay. yeah Awesome. So how my question for you is when's your clothing brand going to launch? So it's been a very long process. Um, I am, I am putting together something for a lifestyle brand launch called mother wolf. Um, and I am, I need to start having meetings. Life keeps happening, but I have the graphics for, uh, the first couple of pieces that I'm going to put out, I need to sit down with uh, a fashion designer who's a friend of mine, who's going to help me kind of structure what everything's going to look like. I don't want it to be standard hoodies, t-shirts, whatever. I want to do something different. And I also want to make sure that I'm being conscious of how much litter fast fashion can cause. So I want to see if I can work in conjunction with a sustainable, um, company that's putting out product that then I can print everything onto that is sustainable. Um, I really would rather have people be able to buy pieces that they'll keep and not be like, okay, I'll have this for three months and toss it or replace it or whatever. You know, I want to cut down on the amount of waste that fashion can cause and not contribute to contribute to it. Well, please, like, I want to be part of the first order. I, whatever you're making (laughs) for Mother Wolf, I'm in. I'm all the way in. Fantastic. Yeah. And I think the goal ultimately, I mean, I, I don't have a, de- a a date for the launch, but hopefully in the next few months, um, the other thing we want to do is try to tie in with a nonprofit that sends a lot of money to supporting women. Um, and initially I thought I wanted to really support women um, having access to um, some kind of, you know, physical fitness or something like that. But uh, given what's going on in the world today, it looks like I am probably going to be throwing a lot of my money at uh, Planned Parenthood. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So yeah. how can folks find you and train with you? Um, so I, I do remote programming. Uh, I am in San Francisco. I train out of a gym in the Potrero Hill area. Um, my Instagram is at Shelby Belfast, all one word. Uh, I respond to DMs pretty quickly. Um, my Facebook, you can find me. It's under the same name, although it's uncommon that I add people I don't know, though I do respond okay. to messages. Um, but that's Instagram is probably the best way to get a hold of me. And, um, yeah, I'm in Los Angeles pretty frequently once to twice a month. So I do have clients in LA, um, and I do remote programming all over the world. So yeah, hit me up. Awesome. You are my absolute favorite person to follow <laughs> and I can't wait to share you with everybody else who hasn't had the pleasure yet. It's going to be so cool. It's been super amazing catching up with you too. Like really, really amazing. I've got my eye on some Gymshark leggings now. They're very booty forward and I'm a little afraid that the um, booty forwardness of them might like ignite Ragnarok if I actually put these on. But, you know, if Shelby's booty hasn't already kicked off Ragnarok, I guess we're all safe. So seriously, follow Shelby, follow her equally gorgeous partner in gym and life, Ben, uh, sfitperform is his handle on Instagram, and learn how to get your form right. And if you're in the Bay or in LA, uh, or really anywhere globally, see if maybe she'll train you, maybe. Love yes. Do you like what we're doing in the Valkyrie Garage? Help us spread the word. Give us a five-star rating, take a screenshot, and post it on the gram. Tag us at Valkyrie Garage so we can say hi. Stay strong!